You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to church. So glad you're here. Let's get our Bibles open to Acts chapter 11. God is moving. God is moving. I want you to be so encouraged by that. Uh, So many powerful themes through the book of Acts thus far. I hope you're enjoying the journey through this book. I know it's taking time, but man, it's worth it. It's worth it. Again, by the end of our journey, Lord willing, through this year, we look at Acts and hopefully we'll never see it the same way again. And as you look at so far where we've been in Acts, I mean, what a journey of growth. You know, like if you really trace back to chapter 1, verse 1, and where we are today in chapter 11, man, the powerful theme of just growth and supernatural growth and supernatural uh, multiplication. You know, where we started out in chapter 1, right, there was this humble group of nobodies, 120 there in the upper room. There they were, again, 120, and then all of a sudden at Pentecost, through supernatural means, the church explodes and 3,000 are added in one day. And then just a few days after that, the church grows to five thousand people, souls, men, maybe then that means, you know, eight, ten, twelve thousand people uh, in total. Then you have the martyrdom of Stephen, which seems to be a massive blow upon the church, but in reality, God uses that death of Stephen to see supernatural multiplication, and revival breaks out in Samaria, and revival breaks out in other places, as we're going to see today. Then you have the miraculous conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, because God is moving. And God is growing his church. He's supernaturally causing people to be saved. Oh yeah, and then this one guy you might have heard of, his name was Saul. And he got saved in this incredible conversion that the world would never be the same again. Again, probably the most single, most important event in the history of the church outside of Pentecost was Saul Paul's conversion. I mean, just so remarkable. Then we saw a miracle healings in Acts again, 10, 9 and 10. And then we saw Dorcas raised from the dead, this incredible working of supernatural healing and multiplication. Then we saw last week the entire household of Cornelius brought to Christ. And again, this was so huge because this was the marking of the Gentiles being reached with the gospel with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you think about it, again, if you kind of step back, good time to do that, just step back in Acts chapters 1 through 10, and you're like, man, it's been a tsunami of life change. I mean, just a wonder of how much momentum has been seen. I mean, the Holy Spirit is just wreaking havoc over the earth and the world and the church in terms of life change. I mean, literally what we've read so far through Acts 1 to 10 is literally world changing. And again, the significance of Cornelius and his household was meaning this, again, as we said, but the gospel now is reaching the Gentiles like the gospel's going to the Gentiles. If you're here and you're not Jewish, that means in biblical terms you're Gentile and you understand the significance of Acts 10 and Cornelius' household. Like right now, if you're in a good place, if you're in a clear-minded place, a flood of gratitude should kind of rush through your soul. This like because Jesus Christ and his love and grace, that we as Gentiles also have the gospel, have the hope that we can sing now. Death, again, has no sting. Hell, where is your victory? Amen, church? Because of the grace and the love of the gospel reaching the Gentiles. I mean, just, and just pause just for a second. 
I mean, just, just inwardly where you are, just say, God, thank you. Thank you that this gospel went to the Gentiles. Otherwise, again, the vast majority of us, again, we have no chance. No chance. But the love of God is so vast and so wide and so deep and so gracious and so filled, again, with power that it's reaching to every corner of the earth that we live on right now. So in Acts, you have this snowball of supernatural momentum and size and power. You know that kind of cartoons where the snowball starts going down the hill and picks up people along the way, and the arms and legs are sticking out in the snowball, and it's going down. You know what I'm saying here? Some of you are like, no, I have no idea. Well, anyways, it's kind of fun. But that's what's happening in the book of Acts right now. You have a snowball of gospel momentum just picking up people on his path and just going bigger and bigger and bigger. Just amazing. So as we come to Acts chapter 11, we learn here, okay, initially in Acts 11, Peter is criticized by the Jewish believers for hanging out with Gentiles. But then Peter explains what happens. He kind of summarizes Acts 10. He's like, no, man, you got it. Like, I was kind of in the same place, guys, and I was doubting myself. I said, Lord, no, surely I could not eat a food that's common or unclean, whatever. And he was saying, God, I actually even, even kind of um, argued against God. But in the end, man, this thing happened, and this Cornelius, an angel met him, and God came and spoke to me, and we met, and the Holy Spirit fell upon uh, Cornelius and his whole house. I could not deny what was going on. In fact, Peter said to them in verse 17, look at Acts 11, uh, verse 17. He says this to his Jewish counterparts. He says, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is so great, Who was I? Who was I that I could stand in the way of God? That's exactly right. See, Peter speaks impulsively sometimes, but he's also very wise, filled with God's spirit. It is, listen, loved ones, it is futile to stand in the way of God. That's what Peter sees. Peter says, I wouldn't have chosen this necessarily. I wasn't expecting this. I did not know this was going to be God's way. But he's like, man, who am I to stand in God's way? Who am I to get in the way of God? By the way, by the way, if you want to have principles of growth and maturity in your life, if you can increasingly understand that the ways of God are not your ways, if you can increasingly understand when God says something, it's right. When God commands something, it's the greatest place of blessing. If you and I can increasingly submit to God's word and submit to God's will and to submit to God's wisdom, you and I will increasingly find ourselves in better and better places. That's a great principle for life. How many of us argue against the wisdom and will of God, which of course is foolishness when you think about it. It's a little side thing right here that Peter initially did. And he's like, he saw it and he's like, no, 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 I'm good God. You're God, I'm not. You're good. Your ways are better than my own. Then look what happens in verse 18. Look at verse 18. When they, the Jewish believers, when they heard these things, they fell silent. I love that. Just a silence falls upon the room where they are. They fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Okay, you know, again, again, if you place yourself in the context of a Jewish believer and a lifetime of the law and a lifetime of the understand the Old Testament covenant, okay, then this is, listen, imagine almost the statement of, of disbelief and yet tremendous amazement and we pray joy. Then to the Gentiles also, Wow, wow, then to the Gentiles also 
God has granted repentance. Who's sovereign over salvation? God is. God has granted repentance. Notice that leads to life. Now, stare at verse 18 for a second. Many words in there are very important. There's one small word that is massively important. It's the word also. Do you see the word also there? I'd underline it, I'd circle it, put a box around it, do something to it. There's a small word there with massive implications. Notice that word also. That word also is not there, we have no hope. That word is there, we have hope. Without that word, we are dead. If that word was not there, we'd be dead. That word is there. We are alive if we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Without that word also, we'd be in total despair. Sadness and grief and misery. But that word also is there. And therefore we have tremendous hope and tremendous expectation that we can open up the service today and say, I am bound for glory I am free because I'm bound. And again, I'm there and I am waiting the heaven's gate. Awesome, that's so truth. Because of that word also, I might add. Because the word also is there, the implications then are absolutely wonderful and glorious. So sometimes I'm mindful every dictionary has a word of the year. Often they're strange. But listen, this is the word of, of your life right here. In some ways today, this is the word of your day. This is the word of your life. It's the word also. The word also. In the context of the gospel and the love of God reaching the Gentiles. I wonder, have you ever been so thankful for the word also? Well, we need to be thankful today. It's awesome sometimes just to pick a word from God's word and to stare at it, meditate on it, and to just unpack it and say, man, I'm so glad also's there. God, thank you for also. As a Gentile, as, as one who had no chance by himself apart from Jesus Christ and his love and grace, I'm so thankful for the also that is there. And by the way, loved ones, this leads us to our first point, which is this. Number one, the Lord has granted repentance. The Lord has also granted repentance to the Gentiles. Notice, the Lord has granted repentance. So in verse 18, God's sovereignty over salvation, okay, he has granted repentance. So ready, ready? Repentance is a gift. Have you thought about repentance in that way? Maybe it's been a while. Think about it. So many are so filled with um, pride and not wanting to repent. So many see repentance as such a bad thing. In fact, God grants repentance to lead to life. Maybe some of you are here right now and you've been resisting and fighting against and trying to push away the concept of repentance. You're pushing away life. You're pushing away blessing. You're pushing away eternity. You're pushing away the grace of God. Repentance is a gift granted by God that leads to life. Repentance means we are aware of our need for salvation because of our own sin. Repentance is turning away from that which is destroying us, sin, and running to him who is life and love, the Lord God Almighty. Jesus Christ and his gospel. That's what repentance becomes. And notice, repentance leads to life. So we learn here, ready, ready, ready? Maybe you're here to hear this line right here today, okay? If you don't embrace repentance, you cannot be saved. There is no true salvation apart from repentance. Because if you don't know what you need to be saved from, or you can't confess the fact what you need to be saved from, how can you be saved? You have to see your sin for what it is, offense against God. And again, confess and repent of that sin to turn and then 
turn your life towards the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord grants repentance. So try and place yourself now in the context of what's happening in Acts chapter 11. Imagine you're a Jewish believer right here. Again, you're starting to ascertain what's happening. This is 100% an earth-shattering idea. Like absolutely earth-shattering. Now remember this, okay? When Peter comes back and Peter says, man, the Gentiles are being saved, okay? The Jewish people are like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 wait a second. Because inherent to Peter's message is that means circumcision is not necessary for salvation. That means keeping the law right now becomes irrelevant in terms of salvation. That means that clean or unclean foods also then is irrelevant in terms of being saved again by God Almighty. So if you're a Jewish person and those three things, you start to kind of unpack in your mind, the Gentiles are being saved, that's impossible, that's impossible. And so this is the idea that the Jewish people and specific believers now are trying to wrestle down. And by the way, some really never got there. Someone struggle with this again for days, weeks, and, and, and years as we go through the book of Acts. We'll see some of that. It was almost too much grace for them to handle. You know what I mean? It was almost just like, no, there's no way. They, they don't deserve that. How, how about, I mean, I mean, if you look at your own heart and you see your own heart is sin, it's kind of foolish. But in the same way, it's like, well, how could they? They're other people. We're the people set apart from God. Anyways, this is idea they're trying to wrestle down was this, was that the mission of the gospel included the Gentiles, the Lord has granted repentance to them as well. Now, for the Jewish believer who starts to see this and understand, all of a sudden, there are certain verses in the Old Testament that are going to start exploding from the page. Here's one. Here's one from Isaiah 49. Okay, So this is the type of verse that pre-Christ and pre-New Covenant you might look at and just kind of be sitting on. But notice this. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob? And to bring back the preserved of Israel. So up until now, like for the, for the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ Messiah to bring back the preserved of Israel. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. But then notice this. But I will make you, the servant of God, Jesus Christ, a light for the nations. And just to make sure they're clear on that, that my salvation might reach to the end of the earth. Okay, so you're, 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 you're a Jewish believer you're alive in Jesus Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, you open the scroll of Isaiah, you see Isaiah 49, verse 6, and you're like, oh, oh. like I mean, just, just like the light bulb of understanding and the amazement, God has predicted this all along. All along, God has predicted that the gospel go to his people, to the Jewish people, but also to the ends of the earth and be a light to the nations, including the Gentiles. This is also why Paul said in Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, Paul said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And notice he says to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek, to the Gentile, to the Greek, to the Gentile, to the Jew first. Exactly what we're seeing in the book of Acts. Exactly what has happened. And Paul understands that. The Paul, the Jew of Jews. And here he is saying, then the gospel goes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So this truth absolutely changes Everything the Lord has granted repentance. Hey, um, maybe it's just a good exercise right now. Again, just to sit back for a moment, take a deep breath right now, and just be like, and just pause and say, Lord, um, how thankful do we need to be for His kindness? I mean, honestly, just take a moment right now. God, thank you for your grace. I mean, if you're saved right now and you're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Let's just put down the wish list for God for a second, and let's pick up the wonder list for a few moments. Like, how about we just lift our eyes to Jesus and just thank him for all that he's done, the fact that we have any sense of being alive and the hope and the joy. I mean, think about it. Did you deserve, did I deserve to be saved? Absolutely not. I deserve to die. I deserve hell. I deserve eternal death. But Jesus Christ has granted me eternal life by grace through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and the hope of glory to never die again. I mean, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, amen? I mean, praise Him, praise Him. Church, may you want to be a church to see the blessing of God, let's praise Him and honor Him and love Him for all that He's done. So what happens now is the work of grace is now going into like town by town. And every town will never be the same again. And the town that's up next is Antioch. By the grace of God, it's Antioch. And what we're going to do is we're going to use the work of God in Antioch for the rest of our outline to become a prayer for us as a church. What we're going to do, and this is the rest of the message, we're going to see God, you grew and multiplied and put your grace in Antioch then, and you want to do the same thing in Oakville now. What you did then, God, we're going to pray that you will do now among us. And again, this becomes the remainder of our time together. Simple, but I pray powerful as well. So it's this. Because the Lord has granted repentance, because that's a fact, because that continues to happen today across this world, because of the loving heart of God, therefore, Lord, may our prayers be the following. Because the Lord has granted, join me in this prayer, okay? Join me in this prayer. Like, not just today, like, keep it going. Because you have promised to save people by granting repentance, therefore our prayer becomes the following based on the work of Antioch in Acts 11. Number 1a, we'll call it that. Our first prayer point is this. Oh Lord, may your hand be with us. May your hand be with us. Look at verse 19 now. Now those who are scattered... Because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Notice, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And then verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Okay, I want you to notice first the principle in verse 19. Take a look at verse 19. Ready? Here's the principle. Gospel persecution always leads to gospel promotion. I'll say that again. Gospel persecution always leads to gospel promotion. Here's another supernatural principle. And the supernatural reality is this. The harder you squeeze the church, the more life that comes from it. This has is, this is maddened so many people over the centuries that tried to kill the church and get rid of Christ and destroy the Bible and to eliminate again the word of God. The reality is, because God's in charge, he's supernatural, he does whatever he wants. The more you try to kill the church and squeeze it, the more life comes from it. Amen? That's so encouraging. That's true then, it's true now. The more you try to persecute the church, the more the gospel is promoted from it. And of course, the church comes by this honestly, doesn't it? 
the church comes by it honestly because Jesus Christ, of course, he died and from his death exploded life eternal. Millions and billions of people have been saved since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 12, the theme for, three, for free indeed this year, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. And by much fruit, again, billions of lives will be changed as the kernel of wheat, Jesus Christ, falls to the earth and dies on the cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sins. In verse 19, notice only the Jewish people were hearing the gospel. But then notice, notice in this verse, notice in verse 20, the second also is there. See the second also? So what I did in my Bible, I circled the first also, which was found again in verse 18, and I drew a little line there down to this also in verse 20. So I want to be connected. Here's the second also, which again is absolutely life-changing. You see that there? The second also is that some men preach the gospel, don't know who they are, they preach the gospel to the Hellenists. My Bible has a footnote beside Hellenist, is yours? In the footnote of my Bible, it says this, it says that they were Greek-speaking non-Jews. So you have Gentiles, Greeks, that were being reached with the gospel. Amazing, God is already spreading and working in this way. And here comes the clincher in terms of God's multiplication power, the Jews and the Greeks. Look at verse 21 again. I love this. And the hand, I hope this is underlined, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, the context of Acts 11, Antioch was a considerable city. It was in the day that this was written, it was to be the third largest or third most important city in the Roman Empire. Antioch was known for its business, it was known for its sophistication, it was also known for its immorality, Uh, really known for its immorality. Antioch was famous for false gods, famous for its pursuit of pleasure, and honestly famous for its depravity. One commentator compared Antioch of that day to being the Las Vegas of its day. That's what one guy would suggest based on the information that he had in terms of the reality of the environment of Antioch. So what you have here, ready? Here you have the gospel coming into this very, very dark setting, this very, very evil society and surroundings, this very demonic-filled, false god-worship city, and you have the light of the gospel trying to shine into this darkness. You say, well, how would that happen? That's going to be impossible. Ah, not so fast. Why? Because the hand of the Lord was with them. And if the hand of the Lord is with you, I like your chances. I did a quick survey of that phrase, the Lord was with him, or the hand of the Lord was with him across scriptures really quickly this week, really quickly. And I came across, I just kind of, I typed in on my Bible software, like the Lord was with that phrase. And I found many, many different examples. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joshua. And the Lord was with Samuel. And the Lord was with David. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. And the Lord was with John the Baptist. And the Lord was with Jesus. I like how all those guys turned out. I like what happened through their lives. Ups and downs, yes. But when the hand of the Lord is with you, church, again, again, guaranteed blessing is to fall. Not easy, not easy, not easy, not easy, but awesome. Not easy. 
But tremendous. What else do you need when the hand of the Lord is with you? Hey, church, Hope Church right now, again, again, this is what we need more than anything else. If you start right from the bottom and build a foundation, when his hand is with us, nothing and no one can stop us. His hand, listen, the Lord does whatever he wants to do. The Lord changes whoever he wants to change. The Lord moves through whatever situation he wants to because he is sovereign, he is God, he is awesome. When his hand is with us, we are good. Listen, listen, so careful, right? right? Right now, right now. This is where his presence is always more important in the program. I say it again. His presence is always more important than the program. As great as the ministry fair is, and I'm going to hype that up in a few minutes, that's so important, if his presence is not sought, then the program becomes useless and futile. This is when prayer is always greater than performance. Always. Dependence so much more important than our ability to do anything. This is where his glory always trumps our giftedness. Always. All human gifting in the world will never equal to life change. It must be the hand of the Lord. Think about it. Think about it. In Acts 11, in the midst of these dark times, man, in the midst of incredibly dark times in evil society, the hand of the Lord was with them. Think about our times that we live in. Dark times. But we insist that the hand of the Lord be with us. Antioch was dark, but the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. What does it look like when the hand of the Lord is upon a church or let's say upon a community of Christians and you know we have this theme of praying for a spirit of revival in our day right now. God is moving. God is doing so many unique things and so excited for what I see and what I believe is going to happen too and just the anticipation. I've been reading a lot about revival recently and just want to get a heart of faith and going there and I want you to join me in that. On the screen for you I just this is, this is kind of extensive but I just want to read it. I want to read it slowly. I want you to take it in uh, Tudor Jones, he explains revival in this way. Revival is God revealing himself to man in awful holiness and irresistible power. It is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs abandoned. I love that. It is man retiring into the background because God has taken the field. As a former jock, man, I like that metaphor. It is the Lord making bare his holy arm and working an extraordinary power on saint and sinner. I love this. It has the stamp of deity upon it, which even the unregenerate and uninitiated are quick to recognize. Please, Lord, may your hand be upon us. A religious revival involves a spiritual awakening or revitalization within churches. Or within an area from which contrasts with the smooth flow of daily life. From the Christian perspective, it should be considered, should be considered, excuse me, I just lost my spirit for a second. From the Christian perspective, it should be understood as the specific activity of the Holy Spirit, deepening people's commitment to God and intensifying their concern about the eternal destiny. Oh Lord, may your hand be upon us. Individuals are converted often in large numbers. Churches are revitalized. And the excitement spreads to surrounding localities. These newly converted or revival Christians become infused with missionary spirit and dedicate themselves to a holy life and not infrequently to cultural and social service. Oh Lord, may your hand be upon us. Oh Lord, may you start to light the fire and may we see amazing things happen from our lives. Oh Lord, may your hand be upon us. The second point of prayer I want to point out here, Lord, oh Lord, may we see your grace among us. 
May we see your grace among us. Look at, look at verse 22 now. It says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Notice this. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Okay, So watch this. The joy of new life in Christ spread so fast. It says it came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. By the way, I, I love the idea of the joy of life change in the gospel spreading from this place. I read Nehemiah 12 in recent weeks. And it says, And the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. The people were so filled with joy. They were so rejoicing over God's provision for them and God's purity among them. The joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. And in some sense, this is what's happening right here in the text too. And the joy of the gospel came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Hey, church, hope church, hope church. Pray for that. The joy of this place would go from this place. What an awesome prayer. What an awesome thought. The joy of baptism, the joy of life change, the joy of the missionary spirit. The joy of the gospel, the joy of our desire to see the lost saved would go from this place to the community and the province and the nation and the world as it is in many ways already. More, Lord, more. Join me in that. May the joy of the gospel be heard from this place. So again, the Jewish believers, when they hear this in Jerusalem, they gotta be amazed and they gotta be intrigued. They send Barnabas to see this further. That's a good choice, eh? You know a lot about Barnabas? What a good man he was. Notice in verse 23, Barnabas comes. The first, I love it, the first thing he sees is the grace of God. There's a man filled with God's spirit. I love that. That's a, thr- a thrilling piece of theology and application. Okay, watch this. Ready? Watch, watch this. Barnabas walks in. This incredible work in Antioch, this, this, this Las Vegas of their times. He sees the gospel moving in so many ways, and he doesn't see the work of man. He doesn't see impressive programs. He doesn't see powerful giftedness or some kind of exalted up preacher. He sees the grace of God because that's what it is. He sees the grace of God. This, this reminds me of a New Testament text written by Paul in the book of Titus. Take a look here. Paul says, for, notice this, for the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God has appeared training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live with self-control. The grace of God has appeared waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, that's an awesome couple verses, eh? Now, just put the next slide up for a second. Watch this, okay? So the grace of God is again what trains us. The grace of God is what you know, causes us to bring again salvation. The grace of God is why we wait. As we wait for our blessing, it's all of God's grace in our lives. It's all grace. The whole thing, the grace of God appears, and that's what changes lives. It's God's, it's not us. It's his grace. When you long for heaven and you sing that song, it's grace. Salvation comes, obviously, grace. As you're being, moving into godliness, it's grace. It's the grace of God. This is what... Barnabas sees as well. So listen, every life that is changed among us is grace. Every baptism we witness is grace. Every marriage restored is grace. Every addiction conquered is grace. Every delight in his word is grace. Every mission trip we see go forward is grace. Every prodigal returned is grace. Every gift in action in a certain ministry, it's grace. 
Every person welcomed in the, in the spirit of Christ in this place today, it's grace. Oh God, may we see your grace among us. May we see your grace among us. And listen, we are, we are. Our prayer meeting this week, man, that was grace. I was so personally encouraged. I had very little to do with it. I was so personally encouraged to see the grace of God working and eyes constantly filled up with tears at the love and the life change and the wonderful beauty of our God. Man, I just don't you love to see his grace? You know when you see the grace of God and then you compare it to the world and the world's just like, man, what a joke, right? Like you get excited about something in the world and let you down again, right? And it happens all the time, right? You get excited about you're going to go on your break or you're going to go and watch some movie, things are really awesome. At the end of the day, you're like, maybe good, but then it just runs out so fast or you get so excited about some other thing you think's going to do it for you and then you get there and you're so disappointed, or your team loses again, or whatever it might be. You're just, you're always looking for something that always lets you down. But to see the grace of God, you're just like, oh, the way it fills your heart, the way it motivates your faith, the way it causes you to pray, the way it gives you joy, an inexpressible joy. That's Jesus. That's what happens when we see his grace. Church, let's pray to see his grace among us. And notice our main man, Barnabas, he comes in. He's so spiritually sensitive. Okay, okay, again, Barnabas here, again, there he is, you know, filled with the understanding of the old covenant now in the, in the new covenant. He walks in, notice, notice, he doesn't come in and say, wait a second, man, and put legalistic demands upon the church. You should get this right. You're not doing this right at all. Notice he's not threatened by the work. He's not threatened that God may be doing something in an extraordinary way that he's kind of coming and just bumping into. I love that. It's sad to see some people respond to God's grace and others, and their first response to seeing God's grace is jealousy, envy, and harshness. Hey, hey, don't be that person, please. Do, do not be that person. At least, at least, when you see God's grace in someone else's life, and you see blessing in someone else's life by God's grace, at least admit to yourself when you're treating them unkindly, at least admit the reason you're doing that is because you're jealous and envious. At least acknowledge the sin in the process. That would be very helpful. And then hopefully the Lord can bring us to repentance to say, man, like, do I trust the Lord for myself or am I just going to spend my life worrying about other people have and I don't? None of that in Barnabas. None of that. He sees the grace of God and he is glad. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Notice what Barnabas does do. His joy and gladness and then he exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. Okay, so he sees the grace of God. Lord, may we see your grace among us. What does God's grace look like within our lives as you boil it down to a very simple form? It looks like this. Two things that Barnabas says right here. Faithfulness and steadfast purpose. I'm telling you, you want to see God work in your life? Be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord without compromise. Hey, hey, question right now. Question right now. Where are you tempted towards compromise right now in your life? Faithful to the Lord, man, that's, that's the grace. Steadfast purpose as opposed to wandering aimlessly, right? Next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. Some people here right now, young people, some young people here right now, just one thing after another, man. I mean, social media's got your heart far more than the word of God does. Older people here right now, you're so concerned with your future, you're so concerned about retirement, you're so concerned about whatever it might be, and it's got you attracted all over the place, man. Man, let the grace of God be your focus. Faithfulness to the Lord and steadfast purpose. 
Maybe there's some people in the middle somewhere, man, and the career is everything. The career is all that you're focusing on and faithful to my job and faithful to the work. And my purpose is my promotion. The purpose is my provision I want to see. And just, no, 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 faithful to the Lord. That's, that's the grace of God. Steadfast purpose to the Lord. That's the grace of God. And Barnabas is so smart. He's like, hey, man, this is awesome. Be faithful to the Lord. And remain steadfast in your purpose. Oh, may we, see, may we see the hand of the Lord with us. May we see the grace of God among us. And then thirdly, our prayer point is this. May we see your fruit. May your fruit be found in us. May your fruit be found. Remember, remember um, when this starts, it says the Lord has granted repentance also to the Gentiles. So, when the Lord grants repentance, listen carefully, fruit must follow. You say, how do I know if I'm saved? Fruit. Jesus says again, you will prove to be my disciples if you bear much fruit. John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So when God grants repentance, listen, God grants fruit as well. Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are created in the workmanship of God to do good works. Repentance must lead to fruit. Let's break down this last section then with three main types of fruit on the screen for you. I want you to see this. Three G's. Number one, the fruit of godliness. Look at the fruit of godliness. So look at verse 24. This, this describes Barnabas. He was a good man, the only one called a good man in the book of Acts, I understand. Notice, he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So at the center of God's grace here was a man, Barnabas, on fire for the Lord, okay? I want to just take this and I want to kind of extract from this principle right here, ready? Character, church, character is undeniably and probably preeminently, listen, not over-exaggerating here, character is Holy Spirit attractant. Ungodliness is Holy Spirit repellent. Some of you are here right now, your life has no power because ungodliness runs the day. Again, when you're engaged with all sorts of debauchery, pornography, lying, addiction, gossip, envy, greed, like if that's what our life is about, of course the Holy Spirit is repelled. We quench and grieve the Spirit. But character is what God first and foremost fills with his power. The pursuit of holiness. It's those who seek to be uh, honorable vessels. Scripture after scripture after scripture speaks to the power of godliness amongst the movement of God. If you want to bear fruit, pursue holiness in the grace of Jesus Christ. Again, godliness is Holy Spirit attractant. Ungodliness is Holy Spirit repellent. Barnabas, man, love Barnabas. And you know what? What a prayer that is for the men and women of this church here right now, right now. Hey, hey, honestly, honestly, oh, Lord, make this a moment. Too many have been too powerless for too long. 
Like some of you right now, that's, you, you were here in this service right now at this time for that moment right there. You've been too powerless for too long and you know it. And you're like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm done with that. I, I, listen, listen, this is your defining moment. Too powerless for too long because you simply have put everything else in front of the Lord as opposed to him. And the character that comes through repentance and confession and pursuing Christ and loving him and praying and in his word and using your giftedness and getting accountability. The power of seeing God work through godliness. May that fruit first and foremost be found in this place right now. Oh Lord, do it. Do it, Lord. Do it. How awesome that would be. And then nextly, listen, growth, growth. The fruit of growth. Look at the second half of verse 24. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went and found Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For Listen, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called the Christians. Now, this is the third time in this brief passage it says, and a great many people. Okay, verse 21, you can take a look. Verse 21, verse 24, and we just read verse 26. 21, 24, 26. And a great many people. God is moving here in Acts 11. God is moving. God is moving here in Hope Oakville. God is moving. Hey, loved ones, thousand seats, a thousand souls. Thousand seats, a thousand souls. Four services. We're not doing that for the sake of trying to become a bigger church. We're doing this for the sake people need to be rescued from death and hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved in him. That's why we're doing it. And us together working. And he is moving. He is saving. He's saving men and women in our midst. I mean, the lineup for baptism is growing coming up in a couple of weeks. The testimony of the gospel and the way God is moving. Pray for this. Pray. Church, he's moving. Be encouraged. He's moving. Again, again, don't miss out. Jump in, man. Don't stand on the sidelines and just watch. Be a part of it. Be a part of the grace of God moving. Let your giftedness be found and used. Be a part of the growing church of the Lord Jesus Christ across this world. Don't get to the end of your life and then all of a sudden you're standing from a distance and saying, man, all the stuff God did and I sat by with my fire insurance. No, 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 no. That's a waste of a life. Standing over here from a distance and gathering all your kind of trinkets and toys and all your investments and all your homes and all your stuff and looking across the distance and you're seeing eternal life and you're seeing incredible joy and you're seeing eternal value and blessing and looking at all these people and the grace of God and you're over here with your stuff. Don't be that person, man. Don't be the person. That's so dumb. What does a prophet, a man to gain the whole world, you forfeit his soul? I mean, don't you know your storm of treasures that moth and rust will destroy? Man, how many verses do I have to say? Where your treasures, they are hard as also. Don't be that person, man. Get in the king. Rush into the center. God, I want to be used however you want me to. I want to see growth around me and in me. And the gathering, I, I, love, I love Barnabas. Barnabas is like, the Lord's moving so much, he looks in and he's like, whoa, man, I can't handle this. And he goes right, Saul, Saul, I need you. And he grabs Saul. He knows when he needs help. Come on, Saul, let's go. And they spend a whole year there teaching and discipling the church in Antioch. That's awesome. It's the gathering of giftedness. May 2020 be the greatest year of the gathering of giftedness this church has ever seen. You know, I think of the Hope Institute how awesome that is for people to get involved and equipped and be used. I think of our ministry fair today, and that's where this becomes, yes, yes. The gathering, don't sit on the bench. Get in the game. Get in the game. The gathering of giftedness in this place, that God works it out. Sometimes it's messy, I get that. 
Sometimes it's hard sometimes. Don't you? Work together to see, man, God wants your giftedness to be used for his glory. Why? Why? For the growth of his church and the glory of his name. The growth of his church and the glory of his name. I had multiple conversations this past week alone that were immensely encouraging for me to hear how God is working and changing and transforming and multiplying and igniting. I'm, just, I'm listening. I'm like, this is awesome. God is moving. God is moving. The fruit of godliness, the fruit of growth, please, Lord, and the fruit of generosity. The fruit of generosity. Look at verse 27. Now, in these days, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit there would be a great famine. Verse 29. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his abilities, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, look up here, look up here, look up here. Ready? Where there's godliness, and then there's growth, and where there's growth, there will be generosity. There will be compassion, generosity and compassion. Let me just say this as we end here today right now. The power of generosity is so important to the spirit of the Lord within our lives. Okay, listen, listen. Today, today, as a way of application, what do you need to let go of that you might be more generous to the kingdom of God? What can you let go of right now that you might in turn respond with generosity and compassion towards those in need or the kingdom of God and the advancement, again, of the church of Jesus Christ? Where can, may this be the greatest year of generosity this church has ever seen? Yes, Lord. The greatest year of godliness, the greatest year of growth, the greatest year of generosity. Oh Lord, oh Lord, may you do these things among us like you did in Antioch. He did it then. I believe he wants to do it now.